Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello again, friends, and we are back for another episode of Abide in Liberty. I hope you've been enjoying this. I certainly have. Um, You know, when I started this, I was a little concerned that I wouldn't have enough to say and enough to keep this going, but there's still so much that we can cover. There's so much, especially in today's world, there is so much material for analysis when it comes to um, freedom and the attacks on it. Now, the people who know me probably weren't concerned at all. I do tend to be a little bit long-winded. But anyways, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. You know, I had a a really fun opportunity this week to substitute in the high school class at our Arizona branch here. And um, I, you know, I hadn't realized how much I miss teaching full-time. There is something truly remarkable about being among so many amazing, wonderful young people, uh, seeing their wheels turn and seeing them kind of grapple with and begin to grasp these principles and be able to apply them in particular on Thursdays, so on Thursdays uh, in the afternoon, that's our Liberty Studies Day. And in the high school class this year here, we're reviewing and going through the principles of freedom as found in the 5,000-year leap. So that nine-part series that I kind of just took all of you through, that's what we've been going through and a little bit of a slower pace and in a little bit more depth with our high school students. So this week, um, I decided that I was going to during my time substituting, spend uh, the class period reviewing the principles that they had learned so far. And it didn't take long. Uh, We didn't get very far into reviewing those principles when the hands started shooting up and, and students started asking questions. And one of those in particular, I want to share with you and I want to analyze based on these tools that we now have with the principles of freedom from the 5,000 year leap. And I kind of want to, we're going to do this many, many times, um, going forward and, um, hopefully we'll get some good practice at how to do this. Now, I typically, when these types of things come up in my classes, I like to remind my students that we're not going to turn this into a person bashing fest. We're not going to start just, oh, Biden this or, oh, Trump that. We will take policies and we will analyze those policies on the basis of whether they violate or are supported by the principles of freedom, these timeless truths that that should govern all the decisions that our elected leaders make. So because, and quite frankly, the reason for that is practically every president in my living memory has tried to do something or some things that they probably shouldn't have done that exceeded their constitutional authority. And it doesn't matter if they're Republicans or Democrats. So just a reminder, I believe this is the way that we should be approaching and discussing issues. If we go into an argument at a surface deep social media mudslinging depth where we pick our side and we just start throwing unsubstantiated claims and insults at the other side, we're going to get nowhere. We're all going to end up with mud on our face and there will be no progress made. We need to unify around a set of principles and we need to keep the conversation and the debates focused around those principles. It's not a personality contest. It's not a contest of who can 
exploit the election system the best. It's not a um, a contest of who has the best speech making abilities. Um, we should be focused on eternal principles. So we're going to practice that. And we're trying to get our high school students to practice that. So this time in this class, one of my students um, raised their hand and said, uh, you know, well, what about this student loan forgiveness thing I've heard about recently? And, you know, this is a fantastic example. And I we jumped right in and we started analyzing that particular movement around these principles. So I want to do that with you now. For those who may not be aware, in August of 2022, President Biden issued an executive order forgiving $10,000 of student low debt for low to middle income uh, people. Uh, In the press release, he said, a three-part plan delivers on President Biden's promise to cancel $10,000 of student loan debt for low to middle income borrowers. President Biden believes that a post-high school education should be a ticket to a middle-class life. But for too many, the cost of borrowing for college is a lifelong burden that deprives them of that opportunity. During the campaign, he promised to provide student debt relief. Today, the Biden administration is following through on that promise and providing families breathing room as they prepare to start repaying loans after the economic crisis brought on by the pandemic. Now, many of you probably saw your social media feeds blow up with posts ranging from why in the world are am I paying with my tax dollars when I slaved over my student loans and I paid them off and I scrimped and I operated on a budget, paid off my student loans. Now that I behaved responsibly with my student loans, why am I footing the bill for these guys who overspent or took on more than they could handle? On the flip side, there were folks out there saying, well, guys, hold on a second. Christ taught us that we should give. In the Book of Mormon, King Benjamin teaches, don't let the beggar put up his petition to you in vain. If you have the ability, you should give to those that ask you for help. Christ would do this. Christ would give everything he had to those who are struggling financially. So stop whining. You guys claim to be Christians, and this is truly a Christian act. So those are kind of the two extremes of this. Um, and Quite frankly, when you read that press release, it sounds it sounds good. And I, you know, I I'm not going to a lot of people will try and um get into the minds of political leaders and uh impugn motive behind the things that people do. You know, we can maybe make some educated guesses, we can try, but none of us is truly a mind reader. So um I don't know 100 percent for sure what the motivation behind this was, but there are a lot of you know, it sounds, at least from the press release, well-intentioned. We're trying to help those who are struggling, who bit off more than they could chew, and we're trying to help them climb out of this hole that they've dug themselves in. And quite frankly, we've all been there at one point. We've all dug ourselves into a hole, whether it's financial or whether it's spiritual, and we need help getting back out of it. So let's, for the sake of argument, assume that this was well-intentioned, and but let's analyze it because intentions aren't enough. Just because you're wanting to help doesn't mean that your help is actually a good thing. So first of all, I've gone through this with you guys before on this podcast, but we need to perform a thought experiment. One of the principles of the founding and of freedom is that government authority is derived from the people. Well, let's kind of simplify the world to three people, yourself, and you have two neighbors. One of those neighbors has no car, 
the other neighbor has two cars. You look at this inequality and you say, this isn't really fair. That guy, he's only neighbor two. He's only one person. He doesn't need two cars. Whereas neighbor one is walking both ways to work and we should help him out. So I'm going to go take the car from neighbor two and give that car to neighbor one. Now, most of us would look at that and say, that doesn't seem right. Yes, maybe that should happen. Maybe that would be a fair and a charitable thing for neighbor number two to do, but I don't have the authority to take from neighbor two and give to neighbor one. We call that theft. That's a problem. We don't do that. We don't believe in stealing and taking that stuff for ourselves or selling it or giving it to somebody else. Now, because all government authority is derived from an individual, we cannot delegate to the government an, a, a power that we don't have ourselves. So if I don't have the ability, if I don't have the right, if I, as an individual, don't have the authority to take a car from neighbor two and give one of them to neighbor one, then I can't delegate that authority to the government. Now, this brings up all sorts of issues with income tax and wealth redistribution, which is baked into our tax code. That's based on a rotten foundation, quite frankly. It's based on an assumed right that the government could not receive from us. It is a usurpation of authority um, based on that principle. So in this situation with student loan debt forgiveness, the same principle comes into play. You may look at the world and say, oh man, these guys, it's an economic downturn. It's a rough time. Um, maybe we should help these people out. Maybe we should. Like, these guys are struggling. We've got these guys over here that are well-established. They have a low debt burden. They're able to pay their bills and they're paying for some toys and they're able to go on some vacations. We're going to take, and we're going to let the government do it. We're going to let the government take from those who have a little more and give that to those who are kind of floundering under a student loan debt burden. Now, you may say that's not what happened, but that money has to come from somewhere. If you're going to pay off all this money, the only way the government has to fund something like that, the government doesn't create, it taxes. You create, people create the government taxes and gives that and does with it what it will. And in this case, those who are going to be paying and footing that bill are those who are paying taxes, plain and simple. So you are taking that money from them, giving it to those uh, who will be forgiven the student loan debt. So under the principle of the government can't, we can't delegate that authority that we don't have to the government. The government shouldn't be doing that at all. And as much as it might be well-intentioned, it is violating that fundamental principle. And because it is violating that fundamental principle of freedom, allowing those types of behaviors, the government to do those types of things will result in reduced freedom. Always. We may not see the consequences of it now, but you cannot violate a principle of freedom and expect more freedom. Doesn't work that way. Another principle that comes to bear here is principle seven, which is the principle of equal opportunity, not equal things. Every person is should be under the Constitution guaranteed equal rights of opportunity and equal rights and equal treatment under the law. That does not guarantee that every person will have a similar outcome. There are those who will, in the case of college, will who will even come from low-income families, 
who will work extra jobs, who will save, who will you know, live on very little during their college experience and minimize the amount of student loan debt that they take out. And then you've got, on the flip side, a host of people who will choose to live, kind of live the life during college, get an off-campus apartment, um, eat out three times a day, or buy things with that student loan money that they don't need to be a student. And then you've got folks like my wife and I who fall somewhere in the middle. At times, we were really good with our money and with our finances. And other times we were a little more extravagant than we could have been. But when we got out of college, we got a little bit wiser with finances and we worked our tails off to climb out of that hole. And we lived um, a really frugal lifestyle to get out from that as quickly as we possibly could. And we did. There was no uh, trust fund there to help either of us. There was no special privileges there. It was hard work. So not everyone is going to work equally hard. So not everyone is going to be guaranteed the same outcomes or the same stuff. In fact, that was one of Benjamin Franklin's biggest bones with welfare programs that he saw over in Europe was that there are natural consequences for indolence and laziness that we need to be careful not to eliminate. Because when we eliminate those consequences, then people aren't as motivated to improve themselves and do better next time. Now, the other thing, so we've talked about some of these principles. Now we've got to look at, does the president actually have constitutional authority to do this? Is this one of the responsibilities? Does this fall into the purview of the president of the United States? And the answer is simply no. Um, you know, this executive order amounted to a law, and there is only one body of our government that has the authority to pass laws, and that is Congress. The president's responsibility is to execute the laws that Congress passes. He doesn't or she doesn't get to create new laws on their own. Now, you might ask, so could Congress have created this law? Well, it could have if the Constitution gave Congress authority over individual debt, but it doesn't. So not even the Congress could have passed this law. Now, let's deal with the counter-argument real quick of, but it's the Christ-like thing to do. So stop whining. You're doing a good thing. You're helping people out. And here's the thing about charity and about righteousness and about Christ-like living. Forced charity isn't charity. Forced righteousness is not righteousness. That is Satan's plan. When Christ told the young man, the rich young man who came to him, sell all you have and give to the poor and come and follow me, he would have gained absolutely nothing if Christ had hollered at the Roman guards and forced that young man to give up all of his possessions and then go help the poor. Forced charity is nothing more than governmental theft. Those who of their the goodness of their own hearts, because they choose to try to follow the example of our Savior, that's what charity is. You force it, and you are on uh, squarely in Satan's territory and operating according to his plan. So I again, I get why that seems like a good thing. The intentions, I'm sure, are good. There's a lot of good-hearted people that enable bad behaviors, and that's kind of what we're dealing with here. We're incentivizing people to uh, um, to be less careful. With their, with their student loan debts. If you 
overstretch yourself and you know that the Uncle Sam's going to come in and bail you out, chances are you're going to do it again. And those who are watching on the sidelines who are being very careful with their money are going to think, hmm, maybe I don't need to sacrifice so much. And you create a snowball of a problem that doesn't lead to good things and doesn't lead to responsible adults who accept accountability for their actions, accept the consequences of their actions, change, and do better the next time around. Now, in this case, this kind of presents another problem, and that's that the Biden administration, the Senate, the House of Representatives, everybody knew that this student loan forgiveness executive order wasn't constitution. When asked about it, uh, the Speaker of the House said, yeah, no, it'd be nice, but the president can't actually do that. Biden himself at one point had said, no, we don't really, I don't have authority to do this constitutionally. So why did it happen? And unfortunately, we've seen this trend in recent decades where um, Congress or the President of the United States will kind of just try and throw everything they can at the wall to see what sticks. And this is a blatant violation of principle number 23, which says a free people should be governed by law and not by the whims of men. We believe in the rule of law. We believe in a government of elected representatives who do their best to adhere to the law of the land and where checks and balances step in to correct them when they don't. In this case, um, the thought was, by the time this works its way through the Supreme Court, it'll already be done. It'll be too late. The money will have been forgiven and we can't backtrack at that point. And again, like I said, this isn't a strategy unique to Democrats or unique to Biden. Government officials of all walks of life and all levels of authority and um, and all political parties have tried to pull this kind of baloney. Um, and it's really unfortunate because the president was supposed to be the first line of defense to protect the Constitution. When President Washington would get a law placed on his desk that had been passed by the House of Representatives and the Senate, he didn't ask, do I like this law or not? Does this fit what I think is best or not? His sole responsibility was supposed to be to review that law and determine whether or not it's constitutional. If it wasn't constitutional, according to his best attempt at being unbiased and reviewing the constitutionality of that law, then he was supposed to exercise. He was duty-bound. He was oath-bound when he swore in to office that he would uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. He was required to veto that bill, whether he liked it or not. And the opposite is true. Even if he didn't like the bill, but it was constitutional, the people's elected lawmakers had felt like they wanted to do this, if it didn't fit with George Washington's political constituency, it didn't fit with his plan or his personal opinion, but it was constitutional, he was duty-bound to pass it. The executive office in this country has lost its soul. It has lost its primary duty of defending the Constitution. To throw it on, throw a bunch of crap on the wall and see what sticks is not what the oath to defend the Constitution means. And any president of any political party that plays that game is breaking his or her oath. 
we have got to, guys, start raising up people of integrity at all levels of government who will do what's right and not do what's popular in the eyes of special interest groups or lobbies. We need moral leadership, and that goes back to another principle of the 5,000-year leap. We need good people. And guys, some of those good people are the people I'm talking to right now. We've all got to get off the sidelines. If we're sitting around and and just saying, you know what? Someone else will do that. I'm too busy. Guess what? No one else is going to do it. And we're going to be left with morally depraved options to choose from. We'll keep getting what we've been getting, but it is time for the good people of the world, for you and for I, to get up off the sidelines, start getting involved, and start being willing to do what's right and and get involved in in government where we're going to stand up for true principles no matter what. No matter if the intentions sound good. No matter if we do it, it'll make a great headline. It's time. And this goes along with kind of the theme that I've been talking about for a while. I personally have no desire to get involved in politics. That sounds miserable. And I don't know if I'm supposed to. That'll be something that if something ever comes, will become a matter of prayer. And if Heavenly Father says yes, I need to be willing to do it. But if he says no, and there's another plan, that's fine too. And that's actually what I'm hoping for. But we've all got to be at least willing and open to find out if that's what he wants of us. And then we got to get up and do it. We got to learn our stuff. We got to learn freedom. And then it's time to go put on our gloves and defend it. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.